Fan Junkies Radio is brought to you by FanJunkies.net, where sports meets social networking. CLW83.com. You know him. Yep, it's Jim the Voice Williams. Thank you very much, Mike. Great to be with you. And yep. uh, John, of course, usually uh, in your spot and you usually in my spot. Right. Uh, we wish you the best with John. He's got some things going on. We won't mention them on the air, but we're uh, we're praying for you, buddy. We're hoping yep. for the best for you and yours. Yep. Uh, last I heard, I think everything should be okay. Yeah, they're gonna be it, okay. it, things could have been a lot worse. We'll and leave it uh, we're hoping that uh, Jonathan will be back on with us come Friday. So we'll see, we'll, we'll see how that goes. See how that goes. So, you know, I was going to throw in there, Jim. Do you know where your NCAA bracket is? Let's see. I believe <laughs> I believe it is now. Okay, let's let me see if I know the uh, trash uh, delivery process. <laughs> pick up the trash, and then they 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 pile it down in the back of the back of the dump truck, and then they compost and they send it to the. It, yeah, it's gone. It, it burns it's like yeah. rest in peace. Well, yeah. I saw mine actually go up because I just threw it right into the fireplace right here. So. Oh, even fun! Hey, yeah. you know, hey. And that was a while ago. I mean, it was a good week before the NCAA tournament was over. That's when mine went up in smoke. But we'll see. You you don't have to waste paper because we have this thing called the Internet. So I just kept mine, you know, digital. There you go. That's just me, though. I'm a little bit old school, and I have a tendency that I like to have that piece of paper still in front of me. I understand. I understand. It's, you know, different strokes for different folks. I understand that. But, uh, yes, we have crowned a champion in uh, the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And it's Rick Pitino and the Louisville Cardinals. Yeah, and we'll get to that in just a couple of moments. We got actually we got quite a quite a bit here on our list that we're going to try to get to. Uh, we got a lot, we of, got a lot heavy, of baseball news. I'm yeah, say heavy heavy baseball dose of baseball here today. So uh, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Let me throw out the number because if any of you have anything on your mind, uh, whether it's on our agenda or not, feel free to give us a holler. And the way you can climb in is three four seven two three seven. Five three seven three, and that's for Jim and I. Anything on your mind? Give us a holler. Anything in the world of sports? We'll take it. We'll talk baseball. We'll talk about uh, you know various interesting things in regards to baseball on and off the field as we're a week and a half into the start of the season, and also later in the show, <laughs> it's the life and times of Manti Teow, part <laughs> five hundred seventy seven apparently. And uh we'll discuss that and we'll uh, throw in some other stuff. But I know you want to start off with a very appropriate today in sports history. It is, uh because we're going to have an event start up tomorrow, a national event, uh that I actually try to tune into some of it. And I'm gonna take that event back to nineteen sixty one. Uh in nineteen sixty one Gary Player became the first foreign golfer to win the Masters golf tournament in Augusta, Georgia. Gary mm-hmm. Player, many of you might recall, was uh, from South Africa. Correct. And yeah. so my question 
uh, to you, Jim. Do you follow the Masters? Do you follow any golf? How about that? I'm more into the major tournaments, but but definitely my favorite is Augusta with the uh, Open Championship in uh, Great Britain, a close second. But there's a mystique, there's an aura about Augusta and the Masters and the way it's covered and how things haven't changed much much since the days of Bobby Jones way back in the day. It is it's enjoyable and it doesn't hurt that the way it's been telecast for the last what fifty years by CBS, limited commercials, lots of uh, lots of golf, which is a good thing. Uh, it it's just it's theater at its finest. It's a tradition unlike any other. There you go. I, I, Hello, yeah. friends. <laughs> I'm just waiting for that one. Yeah. <laughs> over to eight. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go over to eight. Hush, a hushed whisper. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess Johnson could never call that, although I would pay money to see that. And it's in the hall. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, it, you're, you know, you're right. There is, a, I, I think, there's something uh, classical about the particular tournament that draws me mm-hmm. to it. Uh, you know, it doesn't hurt that it's a beautiful, beautiful setting. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, they they do a great job covering the azaleas. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I will be checking this one out. And like yourself, uh, I do cover. I, you know, I follow I follow the PGA a little bit, uh, but I do try to catch the major tournaments, <laughs> the U.S. the U.S. Open. Uh, I'm not a big, big fan of that British Open. Um, really? No. No, I, I don't like their courses. Well, yeah. Well, it's one of those things where if you're a person who likes to see birdies and yep. eagles and holes in one, you're not going to see them there the, you know, half the time, seemingly anymore. If you're even par, you're the champion. Right. I think, to me, the Open Championship over in Great Britain is kind of the same romanticism as Augusta is here in the States. It's golf... And at its origin, at its uh, you know, you know, history meeting now, yeah. for lack of better terms. Yes, I, I agree with you, and I mean, from that perspective, from the historical perspective of it, it's very, very good. I mean, we 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 need to remember that it's it's technically a Scott game, right? It's Scottish. Yeah, I mean, uh, St Andrews and everything. Right. Sure. So. You know, that's its origin. Its origin is right there. But uh Really yeah. the groundskeeper appreciates you giving him a shout out. Thank Those, you. Those uh there you go. That's right. Uh you know, the the courses over there are, are are more flat and you know, we've where we've we've got more of an Americanized architecture going on with our golf courses, I think. Sure. I mean, it, it's inter- especially the bunkers over there. That is Hades right there. Oh yeah, if absolutely. You're, if you're in the sand in England or Scotland or Ireland or whatever, you're screwed because of the brick wall bunkers that are oftentimes higher up than the uh, the players' height themselves. What's the course over there, Jim? Where there, where I've actually seen it before. Where there, there's a hole that is like on a cliff, and you're overseeing, you're overlooking the ocean. Mm-hmm. Which course is that? Do you recall? I don't remember off the top of my okay. head. But, I, I don't know uh, if that's I know what you're talking about. I don't know if that's seen in. I don't know. I don't know if that's seen Andrews, but I'm uh, not sure. All right. Well, insanity. But there's uh, our uh, there's our golf chat. Golf chat for today. Well, just a oh, real quick. Do you? Yeah. Uh, who? We we were just talking about it a little bit before. Uh, Tiger Woods favored uh, three. I think we were saying like three, three and a half to one. Three, three and a half to one. Right. right. Um. Uh. What do you What do you think? The Tiger Revolution is back. I think if you're giving me Tiger or the field, as is often the sexy uh, 
talking point when it comes to a major tournament. For once, I'm going to take Tiger. I think he has got his game back. He's calm. He's cool as a cucumber, cool as the other side of the pillow. And I think, and this is not me being facetious or cynical, the fact that he's with Lindsey Vaughn certainly helps. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, it, it's calmed him down. It's mellowed him out a little bit. And I I can easily see him winning another green jacket come Sunday evening. Interesting. Interesting. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I would not, I for one just wouldn't put my money on him. Oh, I'm not putting any money. I'm not a fool. Oh, no, no. <laughs> you know, I, I I don't have much to, to part with. But <laughs> if you're holding me at gunpoint and you tell me Tiger of the field, I'm going to take Tiger right now. Gotcha. All right. Well, we had a big uh, we had a big game on Monday night, uh, and that was the final game, uh, the championship game of the NCAA tournament. Just thought we'd touch on it real quick as kind of a wrap. Uh, just to wrap this one up, Louisville did ultimately come out on top in that one, 82-76. to 76. Uh, Jim, I know you probably sat and watched this game. I watched it intently. Uh, the first gotta, half was insane. i got to tell you. I mean, was this, it is being touted as potentially one of the best NCAA championship games ever. Uh, it can never be truly the best. Of course, everybody's going to say Magic versus Bird back in 79. Not necessarily because of the outcome, but the hype of it all. This was a great game. The first half was exciting. Much of the second half was close-paced. Lots of slam dunks, lots of insanity, lots of food references by Clark Kellogg. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, in the kitchen! Oh, slamming in! I like Clark. I have nothing against him. But uh, it comes down to something that has been talked about on many of the debate sports shows. Rick Pitino is the glue that holds that team together. I'm not a Pitino fan. I don't think you are either, per se. Actually, I am. Uh, well, I won't hold that against you then. But, I mean, he, he, the less said about him, the better when it comes to certain things. But the fact can not be understated what he means, not just to Louisville, but to college basketball at large. He's one of the best coaches. Absolutely. His resume, not just when it comes to winning championships or fielding good teams, but you look at how many uh, coaches at the NCAA level have been disciples, for lack of better terms from Patino. It's insane. It's staggering. You can play the six degrees of Kevin Bacon game, change Kevin Bacon to Rick Patino, and it works. Right. His, right. his resume far supersedes that of just winning three national championships now. Well, I, I thought, that, in fact, I thought it, there was a, a bit of, oh, I wouldn't say irony, but a, a nice little icing on the cake there, that the very day that he won the championship, uh, it was announced he would be inducted into the, uh, is, it gonna, is it the Naismith? The Naismith Hall of Fame, Springfield, Mass. So, uh, and then and then turned around that very evening, and what he became the first coach, I believe, to win the national championship for two different teams. Yeah, I think that's he's the first one to ever do that. Um, uh, the team, of course, is indicating that uh, you know their their motivation was the fact that Rick Pitino had promised he would get a tattoo, <laughs> uh, and I frankly think that what Pitino needs to do before he goes and gets that is he needs to consult with uh, Rex Ryan. That's what I think he ought to Oh, do. no. <laughs> Rex Ryan will instead give him many good foot sauces. And, uh, <laughs> down, down the slippery slope we go. It was uh, interesting, though, as I watched the game, uh, Jim, it, there was a, a great deal of similarity um, to the game that Louisville had just played previously to get to this point, mm -hmm. where I really thought that Louisville was going to lose it. And... Uh, I had made the predict that this was going to be a close game. 
uh, that if Louisville didn't watch it, they could actually get upset by Michigan. And when you take a look at it after the first half, uh, Michigan was winning by one point, mm-hmm. Um So, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to Michigan. At the same time, I don't really believe that Louisville was playing their best basketball in the final two games. I would agree with that, especially when you look at the championship game. It was that final, let's say, four to five minutes where they finally said, okay, time to get our stuff together. Yep. It's closing time. And they closed hard and closed on a nice run to cinch up the championship. Uh, the one image and one memory I have taking away from uh, the national championship game, Rick Patino and pyrotechnics do not mix. Yeah, yeah. That was that was great. You would have thought it was like the Zapruder film from the JFK assassination, the way he reacted when the fireworks went off. Like, he, had no, he had no idea it was coming. Actually, I posted that video up on um, uh, our Fred House Sports uh, Facebook page. It was actually pretty pretty amusing. He had no clue that it was coming. And I, you know, listen, I think any of us would probably would have done the exact same thing. Uh, I'm sure it was extent, quite yes. loud. Oh well, you know, but come on, it, it's it's a major. It's it's not like he's never been to a Final Four before. Come on. Yeah, very true. Yeah, but just... uh, good, good game. I think you and I would both agree that I don't know if I would necessarily put it down as the best NCAA championship game I've ever seen. One but I think you would have to rank it up there probably. You'd rank it up there pretty high, I would think. I would say you can make a case for top five. Yeah. Absolutely, you can make a case for top five. One of the more entertaining title games in recent memory. Of course, we had a couple of good ones. Uh, the ones with Butler coming close a couple of times were pretty good, too, uh, the last couple of years. So, uh, And I think the game was indicative as well of the fact that uh, of what we saw in the NCAA all season long. And that was a wide open NCAA. There was no there was no real leader in the clubhouse all season long. Yeah, it took a while for Louisville to become the clubhouse exactly. leader. In fact, and they didn't it, get that number 1 ranking uh, if I'm not mistaken until like uh a week before, maybe 2 weeks before the close of the season. Exactly. I mean, it number 1 teams were falling off uh, left and right throughout the season. It was the sexy thing to beat the number 1 team in the land according to the polls. The password is parity. That's what comes yep. to mind. I mean, for going to say, Florida Gulf Coast made a run and could have gotten to the Elite Eight. Yep. Uh, you know, Wichita State, LaSalle. Hey, there you go. There's one for you. Uh, so many double-digit seeds advancing deeper in the tournament than ever before. It gives me a little hope to see, you know, a Cinderella story in the not-too-distant future. And everybody says, and I agree with it, at some point, I would say in the next few years, you're going to see a 16 beat a one in this tournament. It's going to happen. It, 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 it'll be interesting when it does how many people are going to feel about it. I, I'm going to be curious. Oh, yeah. Oh, going it, to be curious it's going to be – there are so many sides to that, uh, you know, not just the actual uh, sport of it ball, but, of course, like you mentioned, bringing it full circle, brackets busted. Yep. Well, yeah. I, you know, uh, I anticipate that next season – uh, and believe it or not, there was actually an article out there. I forget if it was on USA Today or not yesterday uh, with an early, very early predict for next season already. But my predict is that you're going to continue to see, I believe, a somewhat wide open field again next year because I don't see any real dominant team coming up. I would tend to agree. Of course, you're always going to look at the big-name coaches and who they bring in because they have – I mean, the, the Krzyzewski's, or as I prefer to still call him, Krzyzewski. Mm-hmm. The, uh, 
you know, the Patinos, the uh, uh, Roy Williamses and whatnot of the world. You look to their programs because it's not just about coaching now. It's a coaching mindset that's been in place and there's an allure and all that. But you know what? Butler's making that kind of a stride right now. Gonzaga's making that kind of a stride. Universities and institutions that you don't think of in the same lines as Duke or North Carolina or Louisville or Kentucky, they're making their you know names heard to the masses as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, in the next few months as the recruiting continues. Agreed, agreed. All right, we got somebody on the line here, so let me bring them in and uh, we'll see what we've got what we've got on their mind. Go ahead, you're on the air. What's what's up? Hello. <laughs> Hello. Okay. They didn't have anything on their mind. That's kind of me, like me right now. So it's okay. <laughs> Which is why we're going to segue to baseball. There you go. That was appropriate timing. The uh, right on. Right on. Um, we were taking a look, you and I were taking a look at, uh, the standings, uh, Jim, right before we came on the air. Um, and again, you know, I, I don't like to make too, too much of it. I mean, we're seven games, maybe eight games in to the season and it's only April 10th. So I don't think there's any need to necessarily, uh, be jumping off any cliffs if you're any particular team, uh, even if you're a Phil's fan. Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, there are a couple of things I think that jumped out uh, to both you and I as we looked things over and looked at some of the results from even last night's game. Sure. Uh, you got Boston off to a tremendous start, and I know my buddy John Leary is in the uh, chat room right now from Sports, Sports Blog. Yep. And uh, I know that uh, in their program tomorrow, which will be airing right here, I believe at one o'clock on Fan Junkies Radio Network, their program uh, they actually address. Uh, a little bit about the fast start, and um, perhaps maybe albeit a little bit surprising fast start coming from the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Yankees right up there at four and four, but there's Toronto, who I think everybody kind of expected to come out of the shoots, you know, gunning with mm-hmm. all of the moves that they made in the offseason two and five. Well, yeah, and and we'll parallel this as well to the same sort of thing in the American League West. If you had told me seven days into the season, or, or rather eight, seven or eight games into the season, that the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, California, North America, United States, da, 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 would be about would have as many wins as the Houston Astros, I would have said, <laughs> "You're funny." Exactly, but that's that's the case. I mean, uh, my boy isn't doing that great right now, Trouty, uh, but you know. He is Mike Trout. He is awesome. He will get it done. You know, it, it takes some teams longer to get in gear than others. And uh, nothing surprises me yet. Talk to me mid-May. Talk to me end of May. And and then you can start making a little more formulaic hypothesis and theorizing what's going on. You look at the National League. The Atlanta Braves, best team in baseball right now, 7-1. and one. They've won five in a row. And uh, granted, strength of schedule is helping them because they're <laughs> facing the Marlins, yep. the worst team in baseball, coincidentally. And we'll we'll talk more about the Marlins in a moment. Yes. Uh, and, you know, everything else is pretty much, you know, it is what it is. I mean, heck, the Cubs, who on uh, my baseball podcast, Touch Em All, I made the bold prediction that they would have a winning record this year. I'm a sick man. What can I tell you? I and, and I'm not saying they're going well, to. They got to have one sooner or later, don't they? Exactly, exactly. They're three and five, so that's a surprise to some, I guess. 
Uh, you know, the National League West competitive, everybody uh, save for the San Diego Padres are a half game within each other. But the story you want to bring up, the team you want to bring up, your champion team, if you will, your the team you're championing, for lack of better terms, the Kansas City Royals. Yes. Five and three. Watch out for them. Three in a row, and they're facing the Twinkies again tonight. Um, do you think they have what it takes to be competitive in the coming months, though? Right. Well, you know, and that's that, that's where I'm going to reserve judgment just a, just a tad. Right. Because I, I did say very early on, back in early February, I said, watch the Kansas City Royals. I think that they're, they're a small market, small payroll team mm-hmm. that I think is going to play. If they're going to play, they're going to play for a lot of pride. Sure. That's what they're going to do. And if they come out and they surprise early, uh, I, I think they could potentially uh, hang in there. But we've seen this from the Kansas City Royals in, in years past. Mm-hmm. Where they come out and they start out really, really well, and they look like a contending team, and then you know by they're they're, they're an afterthought by the All Star break. Yeah, I, we've seen that. We've seen that from other teams. Uh, one that comes to mind off the top of my head: the Pittsburgh Pirates. The last couple of years, where they've been contending at midseason, trying to break the streak of uh, what is it, twenty years now or so uh, without a winning record. And then they fall at the finish line. You know, it's it, the final furlong's the toughest one for them. To give you a horse racing metaphor, uh, you know that's 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 one of the charms about baseball. It, it, you never know what's going to happen, and things uh, change from from day to day, week to week. And it's something to follow. It's something to just keep keep an eye on for right now. Seeing uh, the starts of these teams, and again, do not throw in the towel yet, unless you are the Miami Marlins. The towel has been thrown in already by the fans. It sure has. Uh, there was a story that came out yesterday, um, uh, USA Today, and in fact it was picked up by many, many other uh, media outlets uh, as a, a kind of movement uh, has spread like wildfire. Uh, the story from the USA Today, Marlins fans kicked out of Marlins game for protesting Marlins. Uh, there's That's a lot a, of Marlins. Yeah, <laughs> there's a group out there called uh, Rage Against the Marlins. And uh, they have their own website. They have their own Facebook page. Uh, they even have a petition up on the White House website. Uh, their anger at their ownership and at this current administration of this team is so deep uh, that they're doing anything they possibly can to bring awareness to the fact that they think Jeffrey Luria has to go. I, I for one, completely agree, agree with them. Yeah, I <laughs> Yeah, I see cats and dogs making peace with each other, Phillies and Marlins fans agreeing on things. Yeah, what is imagine? the world coming to? But apparently, what what occurred the other evening was uh, a, a number of members of this particular group, this movement, if you want to call it that, sure, uh, went to the stadium and they were wearing T-shirts and had some signs and what have you that were uh, very anti the ownership uh, and uh, were apparently promptly rather promptly, almost from the moment they hit the door, were escorted out of the stadium by stadium officials. Oh, my God. Um, and so, uh, and, and of course, the story from stadium, they were creating a, they were creating a, uh, you know, a disturbance, which uh, uh, their side is that, in fact, they were not, uh, that they were simply there quietly holding signs up or just wearing T-shirts with, with uh, statements and sayings on them. 
Um, I have been very, very, very vocal in my displeasure with Jeffrey Luria. Uh, sure. I am not a Marlins fan, uh, but I am a baseball fan. And mm-hmm. what this guy has done to this team uh, and to that fan base is absolutely reprehensible. Um, I am looking to get, and uh, we have had uh, some uh, communication with one of the, uh, I don't know if he is the, uh, I guess, leader of this group, but at least one of them, and that's uh, Dan Barton. Uh, I have reached out to him yesterday, and we are hoping to have him on this show on Friday uh, to talk a little bit about uh, what they're doing, why they're doing this, what their motivation is. Um, uh, it's going to be difficult for me to be unbiased. Uh, I'm probably mm-hmm. going to be cheering and supporting everything that they are up to. Um, yeah, and, and I'm trying to get in touch with them for Touch Them All as well yeah. uh, for CLW83.com. And I support the movement because, okay, to, to have them thrown out for a civil protest, and this is what it is. It's civil protest at its finest. It flies in the, you know, it flies against freedom of speech. You're allowed to go as a paying customer to the ballpark and within reason, of course, state your case. I mean, were they were they shouting epitaphs? Were they shouting profanities? No. From all accounts, no. They were doing this in a quiet, peaceful protest. That's fine. That's absolutely fine as far as I'm concerned. And the fact that Marlins management and the team doesn't want anything to do with it because, oh my goodness, they could infect the masses. They could get their message out to the masses, i.e. the truth to the masses. That's ridiculous. I would also say this, though. The fact that they actually paid for tickets to go into the stadium and and, do their... Deed correct, right? What part of me, and, and I'll bring this up with them if I get a chance to talk with them. To go and do what you did at the stadium and pay to get in, that kind of defeats your purpose a little bit, doesn't it? <clears throat> As by opposed virtue, to protesting outside the stadium, you mean by or, virtue of actually paying and putting money into the pockets of the Marlins? Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, I know you got to do it to get the na- you know, the message out there. I understand. I mean, you know, this is this is a situation that's dire for a franchise that has, you know, I'll tell you right now, the Miami Marlins are the Montreal Expos right now. That's what they are when it comes to attendance. And it's just and Laurie has done this for 15 I plus years. Say what's the similarity there, Jim? The similarity yeah. there is Jeff Jeff Loria. Well, exactly. I mean, fire sale, uh, exactly. It just, it, it's mind-numbing. The fact that he owns and has a stake in any professional sports franchise, and he's done this with other teams as well, like well, we he mentioned. It, he did it with Montreal. Yeah. And, and where did he get the money? Here's the, here's the most despicable thing to me. Where did he get the money in order to buy into the Marlins? Well, that came as an interest-free loan from Major League Baseball after he canned and, and gutted the Expos. Yeah, that's it's disgraceful about this guy. This guy is is pure. In my opinion, he is pure evil. Agreed. He doesn't care about winning championships. He doesn't care about the fans. He cares only about his pocketbook. If you go over to uh, the the uh, Rage Against uh, Rage Against the Marlins website, RageAgainstTheMarlins.com. dot uh, com, right up at the uh, top. Actually, their website is www.ratmarlins.com, which is I'm rage sorry about against, that. Yeah, Rage Against the. They're using the uh, an acronym which is RAT, 
Rat Marlins, which I thought was actually pretty creative. Very cute. Uh, but right up at the top of their page, the mission of this site is to expose and ouster the Miami Marlins' tyrannical owner, Jeffrey Luria, while providing a place for everyone who is upset with the current state of the beloved Marlins franchise to come and voice their views, opinions, and overall disgust. Mm. Uh, the mission goes on later on to say um, that they are in no way condoning uh, not supporting the current team, not attending games, or not wearing the team's apparel. Okay. Uh, as we believe those are all personal choices that must be made by each individual uh, themselves. Well, it also comes down to the concept of you can support the players on the field. That's fine. But to support the ownership upstairs, screw it. I that's, hear you. That, that's what it comes down to. So I guess I can renege a little bit the uh, the uh, saying about the ticket buying, but I'll bring that up to them if I get a chance to talk with them. But it, it's a very interesting movement, and I'll be honest. People in Houston, follow suit. And our hope is, as I said, I'm hoping that perhaps maybe I'll be able to get Dan Barton on here with us on a Friday uh, in around the 12-15 hour. Uh, that's my hope. That's my goal. Um this movement, if you want to call it that, uh, as I said, Jim, has gained uh, speed quite quickly, very quickly. So. Absolutely. It's uh, spreading around like wildfire. And, uh, hey, the proof's in the pudding. Look at what you see. Look at the product on the field right now. Look at the product uh, or lack of, uh, you know, commerce from the stands and the concessions. There are minor league stadiums that have better, out, uh, you know, uh, attendances than – what the Marlins are showing right now. It's disgraceful. It's disgraceful. I feel for the people of South Florida. I really do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So there you have it. There's our update on uh, that particular team. Um, Fish fry. Yes. What do you make of this guy over with uh, the Mets, uh, Jim? Uh, everybody's talking all of a sudden about one young 24-year-old Matt Harvey, huh? R.A. who? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's- really. They've forgotten about him. Particularly, too, have you seen his ERA lately? Uh, it's ballooned nowhere near as high as Roy Halladay's right now. Well, but, yeah, well okay, that's well, a different story. Mm, that, that's, in, that's coming in a minute, though. But Matt Harvey struck out 19 batters in 14 innings over the course of this young season. Guy can throw 98 miles an hour deep into a ball game. That is insane. And I mentioned the, the name Roger Clemens because it kind of reminds me of the romanticism about the fastball and the flamethrower that Clemens was when he wasn't injecting himself in the buttocks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's give it time. It's something to watch out for. And if he can, you know, rattle off six, seven, eight wins or six and seven six, seven or eight good quality starts in a row, Mets have something to, you know, at least put a hat on and yep. you know, hang on to something positive and can build around that. Well there's no doubt about it. This is a team uh, the Mets, <laughs> in my opinion, that's a work in progress, and I think that they're a fine work in progress. I think that this yeah. is going to be a team, potentially in the next season, maybe two, uh, certainly within the next three, that I think could, could be contending and leading in the uh, in the NL East. Yeah, they're they're in a down spot right now, but rebuilding is the term. That's exactly what they're doing, and they're getting younger. Unlike certain other teams, they're getting younger and with good talent, and it comes back to the minor leagues. And uh, the minor league system is being replenished down there. They picked up Harvey with a seventh pick overall three years ago. And he's doing incredible stuff. And, you know, with everything that has gone wrong in the offseason with this franchise, from 
you know, losing R.A. Dickey to Johan Santana's season being over before it even began. Right. And, of course, the chronicled history of financial misdoings from the higher-ups. Yep. This is a pleasant surprise for a franchise that is starving for anything positive to latch on to. So, you know, good on them. I'm not I'm not going to hate on this. This is a good story. Absolutely. I'm not going to hate on it. I mean, I know that they're in my division. I'm not going to hate on Um Right now, five and three. Uh, in in the East, so you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's going to stay. Obviously, we've we've already discussed the standings and how early and or, you know, ridiculously early. Don't it is. crown them yet, yeah, but but it's, uh, it's a, a nice little start, nice little start for the Mets, uh, five and three, uh, right now, and uh, you know, as I said, uh, a work in progress, a work not in progress. However, uh, Jim is a team that's uh, near and dear to both our hearts. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and that's the Philadelphia Phillies. You sent over an article uh, to me this morning, which uh, came from a, a somewhat unlikely source. You wouldn't exactly expect, I suppose, a, uh, a story on the Philadelphia Phillies from the Wall Street Journal of all places. Well, they do cover sports on the side, and uh, author Brian Costa put together a a now the end is near so yeah, really final curtain kind of story about the Phillies and how this is the end of the era and how it looks like uh, Roy Halladay is the microcosm of the Phillies ways. Listen, every team that has a run of a few years as a division champion, world champion, what have you, this too shall pass. Everything comes to an end. And yes, the Phillies window is closing very rapidly. We've known this for a couple of years. It may be not the way we want to see it come to an end, but let's face facts. This team is an old team. This team is uh, the overall majority of uh, the roster over 30 years of age, 32, 33, 34. And they've signed a lot of these guys long term. They talk about the aspect of. Uh, you know, getting money in a couple of years when they re-up with Comcast because right. the Phillies aren't going to start their own network or anything. fact of the matter is this. You want to replenish and you want to keep going. It isn't about doing it the Yankee way when it comes to let's make an all-star team. The way to do it is through minor league. And the minor league system for the Phillies, until recently, very depleted. Yes. They've given away everybody and their sister to pick up a star pitcher, a star reliever, a star infielder or outfielder, what have you. So this doesn't surprise me. This article pretty much is, yeah, and? Exactly, and that was my reaction as well. In fact, I even said to you, I said, there there really wasn't anything earth-shattering in this. I was I was kind of thinking that perhaps maybe there was going to be a glimpse of something we did not know. Mm. Um, they kind of stated the obvious, and as you just pointed out, the obvious is that teams go through this all the time. It's ebb and flow. That's, exactly. that's the nature of I mean, hey, you go back to the Atlanta Braves, who almost were the exception to the rule. They had to break the X number of years winning the division championship stretch at some point, and they got knocked down a couple of picks. Now they're back up. Everything is cyclical in baseball. Sometimes the down cycles, as we know firsthand in Philadelphia, seem like forever and a day in a generation or two or three or four or five. But ultimately, you pick yourself back up. It happens with all franchises. It's the ebbs and flows of everything, and everything's cyclical. Enough said. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, the Yankees are another good example. I mean, you know, we 
so many use them as the gold standard, I suppose, simply because they spend, 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 spend. But Mm -hmm. for all that they're spending, even this year, this is not a team. And I mean, again, we go back to the standings right now. I think they're what, in third place? They're 500 team right now. Okay. Uh, But I don't know if anybody's really expecting any noise to be made from the Yankees, despite the fact they're spending all the money that they have. Now, why is that? It's because, let's get it straight, that's a team that needs to rebuild. They may oh, not yeah. want to. They may want to put blinders on and say, we can fix this. We can band-aid this. But the bottom line is they need to tear that team down and start over again. And until they do that, I don't see the Yankees coming back. That's my personal opinion. How about the folks out there at 347-237-5373? Disagree with me? Give me a holler. <laughs> yeah, by all means. By all means. Uh, your input on this is is valuable. And, and then there's the Roy Halladay concept. And, oh, man. Uh, you know, I'm not it, ready to throw the towel in. I'm right not now. either. I'm not either. I know where you're going, but you've got to be prepared if you're a Philadelphia fan to roll with the freaking punches because this is going to be a long journey. This season's going to seem like five or six because you're going to see glimmers of hope from Vintage Holiday. Then you're going to see him give up seven or eight runs because he's still trying to find his off-speed momentum. That's it. The one thing that, to me, was a bit alarming, Mm -hmm. uh, Jim, and you can give me your read on it as well, were some of his comments following that performance the other night. Now, and the reason I say alarming, uh, he sounded like somebody that uh, really didn't have a clue as to what was wrong. That's the vibe I got, I hate to say. Um, It was... uh... He's just a man confused right now. He does not know what to what to make of anything. And uh you know, it, it's it's uh, it's the story of a pitcher who knows his best stuff is behind him. His bread and butter is no longer and he has to adapt. Uh the great pitchers from the Braves in the nineties, Glavin Maddox adapted. Smoltz to a different extent adapted and and, and became a reliever. How will Halliday adapt? This is going to be a trying time for him, and it's not going to be easy or fun to watch, per se. And I think he's the type of person with the kind of mentality. Uh, you know, Smoltz, I could see him saying, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, in order to recreate myself, I may have to put myself in a position I've not been before. I don't mm-hmm. see Halliday being the kind of individual that is going to willingly do that. You understand what I'm saying? I don't see how – in other words, I don't see Halliday going, uh, you know, in in a couple of months and saying, okay, yeah, that's fine. Bring me in out of the bullpen. No, I, I don't – and I don't think, considering what he's being paid, they're going to go that route. But uh, he's shown the willingness in the past, I think, to hear different opinions and hear theories and try different things. Uh, he's going to have to. He's going to have to reinvent himself. Will he be able to do it within this season? You know, that remains to be seen. Yeah. All right. Well, I I, per, I personally think it is doable. I think he can. Uh, and like I said, I'm not willing at this point right now to completely throw the towel in on him. Uh, yeah. I think it might, as you point out, though, I think it could be it could be a bit agonizing for some of us fans to have to watch as we go through it. 
Yeah, I mean, because forget everything else about how great a pitcher he is, the no-hitter in the playoffs, the perfect game and whatnot. This is a guy who left Toronto. He could have been the franchise pitcher for that team, and in many respects, he still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at his time there, he came to win a championship, and right now the window's almost shut for him to win a championship in this town, and that's that's the biggest crime of all to me. Yeah, yep. So, But there's one other story in baseball that yep. I think is uh, – Noteworthy, and it comes also from USA Today. They talk about everybody's favorite commissioner, not named Bettman, (laughs) and his decision uh, here on Wednesday to, well, he's going to try to reverse the decline of something that's very important, at least in the eyes of the commissioner, the low numbers of African Americans who are playing Major League Baseball. That number's down to 7.7%. To give you a little perspective, the last time there was there were so few African Americans playing Major League Baseball, you got to go back to 1959 when the Red Sox were the last team to have uh, to actually have a black person on a baseball roster. They were the last to integrate back then in 1959. And this is coming as an alarm sound the bells da 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 da. Mike, I think this is much ado about nothing. I read the article uh, last night, and I'm sitting and I'm thinking to myself, all right, what's, what is prompting this? Yeah. Um, and if, in fact, it's true, and I don't have any reason to believe that the numbers are, are inaccurate, you know, this may be completely accurate. You know, 7.7% might be, in fact, the lowest it's ever been, as you say, since going back to 1959. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I look at it a little more pragmatically. Sure. And I said, is it not just a natural phenomena of the whole melting pot of baseball as we know it? When you go back to 1959, we didn't have, if any at all, we didn't have any real influence of Hispanics in baseball. And it was we just kicking in. Barely we certainly probably in. didn't have any Asians. Yeah. So as we as the whole melting pot of baseball has evolved, mm-hmm. might it simply be a, a you know a uh, what's the word I want a result thereof? Yeah, I mean this is the classic case of Bud Selig wanting to have his cake and eat it too. Yep. You want to have the game be a global game, right? World Baseball Classic, you know, all these programs down in Hispanic countries and in Asia and what have you. You want it to be a global game, not just centered to America and Canada. But you also want to, you you want to have this appropriation of uh, this minority, this appropriation of this ethnicity, you're having your cake and eating it too. It's ridiculous. This is much ado about nothing. It's a global game. As we saw with the World Baseball Classic, Mike, this global game, the rest of the world has not just caught up with us, it has surpassed oh, us. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Minor- you, you forget minorities. People from Asia, people from, you know, Hispaniola, as they say, uh, the Hispanic speaking countries. They are the better baseball players. It's not a listen. I'm colorblind. I want the best player on my team. I don't right. care if they're red, white, blue, green, yellow, pink with polka dots. Right. It's all about who can get me closest to a championship. And and for the reason that another reason why there are so few of African Americans in baseball, 
Um, and I brought this up to you pre-show. When it comes to the scholastic level, I'm not talking college. I'm talking high school and even before that, middle school, elementary school, what have you. You realize how much money it costs to maintain a baseball team and a right. baseball program? It's right. insane. You have more equipment than most any other sport. You have so many different aspects to to keep in place. It's no wonder that football, basketball, and much as people don't want to admit it in this country, soccer are far more played by people at large. It's not just black, it's white, it's Hispanic, it's whatever. So I think that's a part of it too. It's it's a, it's from the ground floor that baseball's just not the thing to play anymore. When you were a kid, Mike, I'm sure it was a bit different. Right. Right. So uh, it, there were so many factors to this, and it's all much ado about nothing to me. It's if this is what Bud Selig is going out on as a lame duck commissioner. Well, it's a fitting end to his career. Uh, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of PR, in my opinion. Agreed. That's number one. Number two, I got to ask the question, and I, you know, I certainly I like you, Jim. I, I I'm colorblind, so I certainly do not want in any way any of my comments to be Just taken. Jackson's as, online too. No, yeah, yeah. I don't want I don't want any of my comments to be taken in any way as being racially motivated. They're not. They're not. But They're my not. question. I, when does this? I mean, let's just say we have this. You know, we're going to have this task force, and uh, out of it are going to come recommendations for what? For attracting more African Americans to the game? Well, when does that become tampering? You know, yeah. When does uh, that become artificial? Yeah, I mean, I often see the commercials. You do too, if you watch enough baseball. The RBI program for inner city youth, so on and so forth. There are movements already in place. You can only do so much to bring in any segment of a population to anything, whether right. it be an ethnicity thing, whether it be just people at large. You can only do so much. The people have to be willing themselves. There has to be uh, the intuition from within the people. What it comes down to right now, baseball is the national pastime. You wouldn't know it, by the way. It's played in schools. Football is king. Uh, soccer, though not on a mainstream scale, uh, at least at the scholastic level, is king. Basketball, too. Baseball's kind of the forgotten stepchild. Right. right. That's it, simply put. I mean, this is – it's intriguing to a certain extent, but it's its just mind-numbing that the time, the money, and the resources are being, in my estimation, wasted on something like this. Well, you know, and then the other, the other issue that I would bring up just – Kind of ancillary to it. Yes. All right, 7.7%, and they want to get above that number. All right, and so let's just say over the course of the next, I don't know, five, seven years, they successfully get that number raised. Aren't we at that point then bumping other people out? Yeah. And then suddenly don't we create a crisis for representation of those ethnicities? And so what are we going to do? Have a task force that's going to look into that? You yes, understand what I'm saying? I mean, are we going to, are we going to sacrifice... Hispanics. This are this article unfortunately does not give to me. I was just scanning it real quick right. through again. I was looking to see whether they actually gave a uh, a percentage for Hispanic uh, players in Major League Baseball or Asian players in Major League Baseball. There's there's got to be more Asians now than there probably ever has been in Major League Baseball. I'm and so if we on the increase, task force. Go ahead. I'm sorry. If we increase this percentage. Suddenly, then we're going to be bouncing somebody else out. Are we going to be bouncing out a, a, a white players? 
Are we going to be bouncing out Hispanics who now have suddenly uh, perhaps maybe gotten more than their fair share of representation in Major League Baseball? This whole thing is just ludicrous. Yeah, this just in, we're working on a task force for the lack of baseball players from Abu Dhabi. There you go. <laughs> and apparently Nermal the Cat from Garfield and Friends is behind this. Because she, she, she lives there. Never mind. Him. Okay. Over my head. Over everybody's head. Uh, no, it's just, it's just, uh, it's ludicrous, it's ridiculous, as yeah. uh, Mike Tyson used to say. I mean, there's much, there are many more important things than this. Yeah. There really are many more important things than this. And listen, it's not because, you know what, if you want to play, you're going to play baseball, regardless of your ethnicity. If you're not interested in the game, you're not in enthralled with it it has nothing to do with what the higher-ups are doing it's just your own prerogative that's it exactly well so uh, i think we're both kind of in agreement that this is just a lot of well i don't know blue smoke, smoke and mirrors blue smoke and mirrors right exactly uh that uh you know our our, our good buddy uh bud has put up there to he's our buddy <laughs> To uh, perhaps maybe 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 what he's trying to do is is deflect what he should be doing, which is uh, dealing with the PED issue in baseball. I mean, perhaps maybe that's what this is all about. But obviously, it's a lot of public relations. I think. Already, uh, Jim, we're just uh, two weeks, uh, about two weeks away now from the beginning of the uh, NFL draft. Oh yes, and uh, I I don't think that there's anything more. Oh, I think almost kind of comical. Uh, they're watching everyone and their brother put out and their, their in, and their invisible girlfriend. Don't forget. Yeah, 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 right, exactly. Uh, put out their draft, uh, their 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 mock drafts. I mean, this is a this is a, a bigger exercise, really, when it comes right down to it, than than selecting the NCAA bracket. Um, <laughs> it's like the Joe Lenardi of the NFL kind of thing. Like instead of doing who's going to get placed in what seat, it's who's going to get drafted where. Yeah, exactly. As you know, I, I think in some respects, I think this year probably holds a little more captivation for many, simply because, as I've pointed out so many times right here on this show, it's a weak draft. Make no mistake. It's oh, a weak draft. This draft class sucks. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And no disrespect to the talent here, because there's talent on this, you know, but there's no big name that says, ooh, well, wait, there is, but not because of what he does on the field. Right. Manti Teo, of course. And, you know, article here that it's possible this guy could drop into the second round. What do you make of this one? I mean, second round. This guy at one point, I mean, let's let's just wasn't all that long ago. Mm-hmm. Came in third for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. Okay. And it now possibly talking second round. One of the drafts that I had sent over to you, which came from four different analysts over on NFL.com, uh, one's got uh, – One's got Teo going number 20. One's got him going number 23. And the other two don't even have him going in the first round. You know, that's the only storyline I hate to say that people will be interested in with this draft. Where will Teo fall? Because, uh, you know, there are a couple of names that people know, Geno Smith being one of the other top names in the draft. But but outside of that, everybody wants to see. It's kind of like a couple of years ago with where will Tim Tebow fall? Right. Where will Manti Teal fall? And I'm inclined to think he's going to be a second rounder myself. I don't think any team wants to take the chance on on Teal. Listen, he's a talented young guy. Nobody debates that. 
but people, rightly or wrongly, higher-ups, that is, with these teams are going to look back at this whole situation and say, ooh, this could be a problem in the locker room. Mm-hmm. This could be a guy who's a head case. This guy may not be playing with a full deck. And then we got to think, your favorite term, public relations, how we're going to handle this. Well, you know, a bit of a quagmire. Been, has that been what it is, uh, Jim? Has this has Tao's stock dropped simply because of the uh, of the mythical uh, girlfriend? I mean, is that what this is, or is this a situation where we're <coughs> excuse me assessing more on uh, I, I you know talent? I mean, from what we understand, from what I understand, he did not have a very good uh, combine, uh, but did no, better did. but did better during the uh, during his pro day. So. Um, and and let me get into that. Combines and that kind of stuff, that's BS to me, ultimately. Uh, you know, woohoo, you can run a 40 in this, this much speed. Okay, woohoo, welcome to relay races. I don't care. I want to see this guy in pads. I want to see this guy against, you know, opposition. How can he handle that? Because you can be the fastest guy in the world. You can be the fastest guy on the plate. You can be Usain Bolt, but if you can't juke and you can't duck tackles or you can't wrap up if you're an offensive uh, tackle or defensive tackle and make a tackle, your speed means nothing, okay? Right. I- I'm sorry, but people who are romanticizing about the combine and-, and that kind of stuff, that just irks me to death. And that's part of the reason why I don't really get too deep into the draft as a whole because I think it's it's ballooned out of proportion to some degree. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let me go back to to that question. Yes. Has his stock dropped because of the controversy? Absolutely it has. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind it it is dropped because of the controversy, rightly or wrongly, and I'm not sure which way, really, to be honest. People will look at him as a liability, rightly or wrongly. Uh, what happened, that he is uh, subject to whims and fancies. Mm-hmm. And... Somebody who's subject to whims and fancies off the field, well, if they're on the field, what could happen next? Listen, I hope for the best for him. I hope he's successful. I hope he proves the naysayers wrong. But he's painted himself into such a corner now that there, at least initially, few people are going to take him seriously. Right, right. Which is sad. Very sad. All right, others uh, in the draft that will be coming up, a um, couple of uh, – let's real quick just go over uh, quarterbacks. Uh, Geno Smith, I've been on record. This was a guy that during the regular season many were talking uh, was at best uh, a second-rounder, maybe a third-rounder. Uh, we have heard his name brought up all the way, including uh, on one of these box drafts here, to uh, taking the number two spot in the first round. Yeah, number two to Jacksonville. Uh, I, I still maintain the Jaguars should still get Tim Tebow, but yeah, that's just me. But uh, you know how we inflate these guys as we get closer and closer to the draft, particularly when you're talking about that QB position. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, as I looked over these four mock drafts here, uh, a name that is empty from all of them that I have actually heard in the past couple of days could go first round. Ryan Nazib from uh, Syracuse. Oh yeah, oh yeah, good good talent there with the Qs. Uh, really, there's no science to picking this kind of stuff. It's just, you know, here I'm going to go out on my on my limb and make a name for myself and become the next Mel Kiper Jr. When it comes to people with their mock drafts and their opinions, uh, you know. Yeah, there's an overrated sort. 
Yeah. Um, for, for every my, oh, for the record, for every Mel Kiper Jr., there's always uh, a thousand people who are, you know, more credible, and there's always one who's the most credible. My guy, Mike Mayock, who I enjoy. Conspicuously absent as well, uh, Matt Barkley not on here as as well. Another QB. So you got to wonder how some of that's going to play out. I will follow, particularly the first and second round of the drafts, only because. I'm going to be curious to see how many of these people actually get it right. Yeah. So, <laughs> here here's a hint, not many. Yeah, really. Yeah. They, they 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 it's just it's a crapshoot. It's an absolute crapshoot. Uh, we only got a couple of minutes left here, Jim. I want to throw something out. I did not get a chance to hear uh your WrestleMania or your Wrestle Chat program last night. She, I wonder why. No, no, I was actually going to tune in because I know that you did a lot of the uh uh, fallout, I suppose, from WrestleMania. Yes. Uh, as I pointed out to you pre-show, I was in a, uh, I was chained to my chair and uh, forced to uh, view this uh, on Sunday evening uh, here at the frat house. Wanted to just get your read on it. You may have addressed some of this last night's show uh, on the Wrestle Chat with uh, Brett, uh, Glenn <laughs> Daniel. Uh, wanted to get your read on this though. Uh, I heard uh, uh, some controversy about the actual conduct of the entire event. There were people that thought it was not quite up to par. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, there were even some events uh, that never took place at all. Yeah, uh, one match, an eight-person tag match was bumped and put on uh, free TV the next night on Monday Night Raw. Mm-hmm. Uh, WrestleMania, okay, I'll make it an analogy you can understand. If you're going to write a book... You want to have the beginning flow to the middle, flow to the end, so it all goes perfectly seamless and it all kind of gels together. Well, they took the end and they expanded it too much, and they took the middle and kind of put it at the end, and the beginning was sort of you know lackluster. It didn't flow. The flow was off, and a lot of things ended up getting cut. Usually at these pay-per-views, you see backstage segments behind the scenes. None of that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, the flow of the show left something to be desired, but the crowd, uh, for the majority of the pay-per-view, was into it. They were really into the into it the next night on Raw. You'll hear about that on Wrestle Chat Radio here on Fan Junkies Radio. Listen to the podcast, gosh darn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, in closing, Mike, what did you think of, of WrestleMania? Um, it doesn't matter what you thought of WrestleMania. <laughs> Damn, you got me the second time. I don't believe it. Uh <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed with the uh, with the final match. I thought there was going to be a bit more to it than there actually was. Oh, that was uh, the Rock, the Rock, that, Cena. That one. was the Rock and Cena. They were trading finishers and fake, you know, finisher kickouts. Like it's like it was so predictable. Yeah. And go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. They're, they're, I'm throwing you both. Predictable. Uh, yes, yeah. there it is. Predictable. This sports. What is entertainment. it? Entertainment? Sports or entertainment. entertainment. Or, or as you might call it, the male soap opera, which it is. Yeah. I get that. Well, but mercifully, it only comes around once a year, folks. There it is. <laughs> All right. Listen, I want to thank uh, Jim. Jim, thank you for uh, being here with me today. Thank you, Mike. Um, LW83.com. Listen to all our podcasts. And on Stitcher Radio, including uh, this one here. LW83.com. There it is. Uh, fan Junkies, get over there. FanJunkies.net. Sign up for that completely free. And uh, as always, uh, FratHouseSports.net. You can pick up all the new content, including some PGA. We've got a master's uh, review up there right now. So if you want to check that out, all kinds of good content there and FanJunkies.net. Jim, thank you very much. Pleasure, Mike. We're going to do it again.
Definitely, definitely. And uh, hopefully John's back in the saddle on Friday. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Take care, everybody.